Well, if we can start with the first slide, David, that'd be great. Okay, so we've been doing a theme called Set Apart. And here we have a scripture up there. Oops, that's not good, is it? Okay, I'm sure he'll get it back on. That we're set apart. God sets us apart with a plan and a purpose for our lives. And um, we've been looking at the Beatitudes. Okay, so I can read the scripture now. You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. And um, we talked about designer labels. What label? When people look at us, what, what do they see? What do they see? What are we reflecting? What are we showing to people? And to get straight into it, where, you know, we've started with Matthew 5. And as we've said before, and it's worth repeating, that in Matthew 4, Jesus chooses his disciples. And instead of saying, okay, this is your assignment, off you go. The first thing he does, he sits down and he teaches them and he talks to them. And he shows them how the interpretation of the law and the way that they've been taught down the years, because they knew the law, how actually it's all back to front. And he says to him, here we go. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And when we started this, I was talking to Pastor John. I said, shall we do, you know, one a week? Shall we do two a week? Is there enough material? All we've got here is a sentence. But actually, when you start looking into the background and you're looking into the culture of how they lived and and what Jesus actually meant by these sayings, there is so much in these ones is why we're taking them one week at a time. Because God has something to say for us. You know, this, this fourth beatitude continues the progression that will build a blessed life. These are not just individual sayings. If we can apply these to our life, we can have a be attitude, a blessed attitude. You know, these are come in sequence and the keys to provide genuine joy. Now, what do I mean by come in sequence? Well, if you think about the first three that we've all already had, once we have recognized our need, that was the first one, poor in spirit, about us recognizing our need, have acknowledged and turned from our sin, that is to mourn, We talk about mourning, you know, sin and the sin of the world. And and I talked about when was the last time we really wept for our nation. And then Pastor John last week and released our lives over to God's control. That is to be meek. And meek is not weak. That was brilliant. The horse was meeked. 
It means we take all our strength, but actually we're under new ownership and under new leadership. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. If we can do that, we then and only then are ready to seek genuine satisfaction. Because the next one says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So to be filled, we first of all have to be, well done, Sylvia. You've been reading my notes. So the first three are about us emptying ourselves. You see, the biggest problem we have is us. The biggest problem I have is me. My self-will, what I want to do, how I want to live my life, where I want to go. And and our world, our world promotes this. If it feels good, do it. Me, myself and I. You need to treat yourself. You need to But you see, Jesus didn't model that. He modeled the way of a servant. And he said, if you can empty yourself and you can have real hunger, then here's how you can be satisfied. That's what this one is about today. So my first question is, are we hungry and thirsty? Are we hungry and thirsty? Do we want more of Jesus? You see, Jesus wasn't originally speaking to us as British people. Who came this morning, had breakfast. I've just had a few days with mum and dad. And every morning I had a bacon sandwich. I don't do that normally. (sighs) Tummy's full. A nice coffee. Sit down. He wasn't talking to us as British people who off we're satisfied we don't know we you know it's not like oh i need it's not the hunger and thirsty oh oh, i'm hungry and we say we're starving and we're not starving it means it's probably been a few hours since we had something else it's not like i haven't eaten for days or i don't know where my next meal is coming from it wasn't that but these people that jesus was talking to knew that He was talking to people that knew what it was to go to bed hungry and famished. You and I don't go to bed hungry. If we do, we have a midnight feast. We get out and we, you know, it's true. It is true. So he was talking to people. And the hunger that Christ spoke about wasn't a big Mac attack. You see, we go down our street and there's all those smells, isn't it? It's terrible. You're not hungry, are you? But when you smell it, and the thing is, we need to smell the things of God to create that hunger, to create that thirst, and to see those things working in our lives. You see, there's a story surrounding the Titanic that when they were, um, you know, about to go, and of course it was certain ones who got on the boats, and there was this very wealthy woman getting on a boat, and she's just about to get to the boat, and she says, Hang on a minute, I've forgotten something. So the guy's saying, you've got three minutes. We really need to go. Just a minute. And she ran back. She ran back. She ran back through the dining room. She ran back past all the, the fancy stuff. She ran back past her money, past her jewels, to a bedside cabinet where she got four oranges. And she picked them up. And she took them with her. Because she knew in that time that would save her life. You knew. 
what will really save our lives, what will really give us satisfaction, what will really set us on the right road is that hunger and thirst for God. Because when we have that hunger and thirst for God, it says we will be filled. So do we have that hunger and thirst? You see, he was, he was looking at, Jesus was looking and longing that radical change of perspective. Our longing is to be as a starving person desires food and as someone perishing for drink. This is not a casual desire or stomach growlings between meals. This hunger and thirst is the kind that comes from desperation. Are we desperate for God's righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we desperate for God's righteousness? See, what does it mean? What, what, what is Jesus talking about here? Because the, 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 in the Greek, we've lost a word. So in our, in our translation, we've got, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the Greek, it says, for the righteousness. The le, the has gone out. So what is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about in this scripture? He says, well, if you know anything about, you know, the background and the words that they've used, and sometimes it doesn't come across as strongly in translation, there's two definitions that it could mean. There's a secondary one and then there's a primary one. I'll tell you the secondary one first and then we'll get to the primary one. The first definition for this word righteousness could mean right living or right, right living or living right. Right living or living right. Righteousness. And that's the one you would expect me to tell you, isn't it, this morning? There is another one, which I think might surprise you a little bit. James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Sim in its simplest sense, righteousness is absolute obedience. We are to hunger and thirst for our lives to be in line with God's design. James 4 tells us that if we know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's just as... He, as as wrong as in ignoring the incorrect act. So here, righteousness means right living or doing the right thing. But the second and I think primary meaning of the word of righteousness is one that we don't often think about. And this meaning, so, is to do with our desperate need. The Greek word for righteousness that Jesus uses here has has to do more than doing the right thing, but rather emphasizes having a right relationship. Now, when we first started the, the set-apart theme right at the beginning of the year, um, the first thing I talked about was a right relationship with God. You know... Um, This is a scripture, if you love me, so if you're in a relationship with me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not keep the commandments, it's if you love me. So if, you, if you've got that ongoing relationship with me, and I've said it before about, 
you know, when you, you're in a relationship with husband and wife, which is about the closest relationship that you can have, you, you wouldn't, unless you wanted to annoy him, you wouldn't definitely do something that you know is going to annoy him. Unless you've had a row and you really want to, <laughs> just to show him, I'll show you, you know. So if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I came across this story in 2002. There was a 14-year-old girl called Elizabeth Smart in America. And she was abducted and taken away. It was in Utah. She's gone on. She's an adult now. And she's written books about her experience. She was abducted and she was abused. And she was abducted for nine months. But eventually, they found her and brought her back to her family. Now, this is the point. During that time, what do you think Elizabeth Smart was thinking about? And what do you think her parents were thinking about? Well, I don't think Elizabeth was thinking about, oh dear, I've got to get home because I need to do my chores and clean my room. I don't think so. And I don't think her parents were saying, oh, we need to get back, Elizabeth, back here. Because she's got, look at all these jobs we've now got to do because she's not around. And her grades are slipping and everything else. No, her hunger was for home. And the parents' hunger was to have her back. And the two to be reunited. That was the hunger, that was the longing. And you see, God's hunger is to have herds in right relationship with him. His hunger and his longing and his passion is that we're in a right relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. You know, this is the heart of God. He doesn't want to, us to come to him because he needs to get stuff done. This is not the point. He wants us to love us. He created us and he wants us to belong to him. You see, in the beginning, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And they had that relationship. And we know it was broken. And Jesus came to restore that relationship so that we can have that relationship with Jesus. You see, as long as we see our relationship to Jesus just as a commitment of an obligation, just to do the right thing, just to live a life of duty, we will never get that be filled. We will never have that satisfaction. It's not a life of obligation. You see, Jesus doesn't want right living. He desires right relationship with you. That's what he desires. And so often the problem is with only looking at doing the right thing is then we see God, when we fail and we make mistakes, we see God as a stern lawgiver with his rod out there to punish us every time we get it wrong. And that is a wrong perspective. You see, and as long as we think of God in, in this way, there can be nothing but distance between us estrangement and fear but once we know God is ready to accept us as we are 
and to love us and forgive us just as we are and to transform us from where we are, the distance is replaced by intimacy, the estrangement by love and the fear by grateful trust. You see, do we long for that deep, passionate, desperately, intensely right relationship with Jesus? If we do, flowing out of that is living right, not the other way around. But that comes, if we go with cold obligation and commitment, we will not have a deep, vibrant relationship with God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here's Ephesians 8 and 9. For we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Yes, God has a plan and a purpose for us, because verse 10, we, we do that 8 and 9. He has a plan and a purpose for us. He's got something prepared for us to do, but it flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Remember, you see, Christ, Christianity is not meant to be rules and regulations. And you see, what, when Jesus was teaching the disciples, this is what they had. Rules and regulations. This is what you do. This is how you do it. This is when you do it. This is... You must do this on this time. You must do this on this time. You must wash your hands with this. You must do this. You must drink out certain cups. You must do this, that, the other. It did not flow from relationship. And this is what Jesus was teaching the disciples. There's another verse. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? What do we long for? Let's be truthful. If I ask you about how or what you long for, if you could have anything at all, what would it be? A new car? A bigger home? A better job? What would it be? Maybe that's the problem. Many of us honestly, can't honestly say, if I could have anything in the world, would I ask for righteousness? Why would I do that? So here's the thing. How can we know if we really hunger and thirst, longing for righteousness the way that Jesus says? Is there some measurement? Well, it's a pretty simple evaluation. We just measure ourselves by our longings. What are we passionate about? What are our priorities? Please don't misunderstand me. There are times you may long for the wrong th things. You may not always do everything right. But Jesus is saying here that an increased longing for him and a decreased longing for the wrong things is what will bring us to the point of being filled. Let me say that again. 
an increased longing for the right things and a decreased longing for the wrong things will bring us to the point where we will be filled. We do a little illustration with the kids. And it's, we've said it before and it's worth saying it again. What you feed grows and what you starve. Exactly. And we put a bin and we put things in. And if you put bad things into your life, don't be surprised. Exactly. You know where I'm going with this. If bad things come out. But if you put good things into your life and good practices and good habits, you know what? In time, you will reap a harvest. You see, this is, this is what Jesus said. You see, our walk with Jesus is not measured by perfection. God's not, not, not looking for perfection because we all failed. For all have sinned and fall short. That means the standard is somewhere over there and no matter how much I try, I'm always going to be short. I'm always going to come up short. I'm never going to make it. You see, our walk is not measured by perfection, but by progress. Am I making progress? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm further along than I was. I'm not back there anymore, and I'm, I'm not quite over there, God, but I'm making progress each and every step of the way. You see, Hebrews 12 says this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, we have to throw off sin, but also everything that hinders. You see, our choice is not just between good and evil. That one's easy. It's between good and better and best and excellent. That's where it's at. You know, we, well, you know, I'm not, well, I'm not doing those things. And actually, we can't compare our, our walk with anyone else's. Well, I'm not like that person over there. You know, the Pharisees did that. You know, I, 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 I put my tithes in. I pray twice a day. I fast once a week. I do this and that and the other. It's no, 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 no. It's not about that. And the man in the corner was said, I'm a sinful man. He was, doing, he was doing the poor in spirit. He was doing the mourning about his sinfulness. He was, he, was, he was being meek and letting Jesus take control of his life. And that's what God's looking for in the first place, those first three beatitudes. So that, that when we come to this, we're in a position where we've emptied ourselves so that we can be filled. It's interesting. Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who always live right. He didn't say that, did he? He said, but rather who long rightly. Those who hunger and thirst to live right. That's what Jesus said in essence here. 
It's about the condition of your heart. What are you longing? What are you passionate for? What are you doing with your life? Have you progressed? Are you further on than you were last time? Is your relationship with me in order? Are you hungering and thirsting for God? That's what it's all about. For they will be filled. You know, if you, if you can't look back over the past few years and look at your own journey and see progression, maybe we're looking in the wrong places for satisfaction. You know, there are a lot of things that will satisfy us for a little while. We could talk about power, we could talk about pleasure, we could talk about privilege, but let me tell you that those will waste away. You know, the first wrong place where we can look for satisfaction is in performance. To think that, based on what we've achieved and what we've done, oh, look at what I've done. (laughs) Yeah, you've done it. You've done it. You've done it. Yeah, you've done it. You've got your reward, the Bible says. You know, you've done it. It's by his grace alone, not by works of righteousness, but by his grace alone. It's not based on achievement. And let me put this thought in your mind. If you look at, you know, a lot of uh, those who have gone for achievement and gone for those things, they've paid a price in their family life, in their relationships, right? Their, Their natural relationships have gone astray. They may have had multiple partners. They may have had all of those things that have happened to them. And when they get old, they're on their own. They have no meaningful relationships. They have lost love and have discovered that with time, they themselves have become expendable in the workplace. You see, there comes a point in your life that like you, you know, you, re- you reach a certain age and your capacity is not the same as it was before. And then the longer come in the younger ones, you know, performance and they're growing and you're decreasing. And before very long, someone else has taken your place. And that's, that's fine. But if that's where you're putting your energies, you will always be dissatisfied. You'll always be dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 23 says this. All their days, it's not coming on, is it, David? You're going to need to move that on. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. And here's one to put on your desk. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruits of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. When you've accrued all this stuff and all these things and everything else, so what? It's meaningless. You can't take it with you. Naked you came, naked you're going to go out again. You see, there is a myth that that success produces satisfaction. 
And it may be to agree, but not fully full, true. But, you know, on a lot of products, have you noticed it says, satisfaction guaranteed? Hmm. Not sure about that one. And now we've got more and more and more and more products on the market than there have ever been. So are we more and more satisfied? Nah. Nah. You see, we need to stop and looking at those things. You see, it's interesting because the Bible has some things, you know, um, that kind of go in the opposite direction. So if you're looking for happiness... You won't find it. But actually, if you are seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness, then you know what the Bible says? What it says? We'll be filled. Exactly. It's just another interpretation of this scripture. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus promises lasting satisfaction. The word he uses to be filled means to be stuffed to contentment. In fact, sometimes some of us get stuffed to discontentment, don't we? When you have a good meal. I can't eat anymore. It's not a temporary filling. See, what did he say to the woman of Samaria when she was at the well and she was drawing water? Come and drink of me and you'll never thirst again. You see, that's what Jesus is saying this morning. If you can truly hunger and thirst for me, that's where it comes. So, three things in closing we need to do in order to hunger and thirst after him so that we can be satisfied. Okay? Firstly, the first thing, recognize your real hunger. Recognize your real hunger. You see, God made us spiritual beings. We were made in his image. We are like him. We created to love him and to know him, and absolutely nothing will fill that gap. This is where the world misses it. Not people, not possessions, not prestige, not power, not, not more working at the office more, not having a bigger house more. These are all nice things. Not being recognized, not, not you know, people bowing and scraping or whatever. Nothing except... Knowing him. John 7 verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, context here. Jesus spoke these words at the Feast of the Tabernacle. This was the highest, happiest, holiest day in the life of the Jewish people. For us, it'd be like um, your birthday, going on holiday, and Christmas 
all rolled into one. All of those on one day. And during that, pe- that, that festival, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam, take a pitcher and get some water, and carry it back to the temple. There, he would pour out the water on the altar of sacrifice. At that moment, the Levites would blow their trumpets. And the people, a great crowd, would shout loudly, With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that's from Isaiah 12, verse 3, by the way. There would be leaping and dancing and shouting, and great hallelujahs would fill the air. Right in the middle of this, Jesus shouts out, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Can you imagine it? I'm like, okay. They'll be looking around. You see, Jesus knew that they were drinking from the river of ritual. Guys, we've got to be so careful. When we come on a Sunday morning and we take the communion, which is a great thing to do, and remember that it doesn't become a ritual. When we come, oh, Wednesday, oh, it's prayer meeting. I need to be in the prayer meeting. And it becomes a ritual. And we do it for the wrong reason. Oh, it's night of prayer. Right, okay. War will be on to me if I don't get there. And it becomes, all of these things can become a ritual. These are the things we do with joy when the relationship is right with Jesus. Amen? Amen? You see, God lets us get hungry and thirsty because he knows that nothing but him alone will satisfy. When somebody says to you, I'm really dissatisfied. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm really dissatisfied with my life, I'm really miserable, you should say, good, congratulations. Now you can find out what God has been wanting you to know all along. Amen? Amen? You see... Satisfaction is not in performance, pleasure, possessions, or people. It's in me. That's what Jesus is saying. I made you a spiritual vacuum, and unless you fill it with me, you will always be hungry. Pascal, a Christian philosopher of the 17th century, said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by anything but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. Amen? Amen. Similarly, St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So that's the first thing. The second thing. Oh, we've jumped to the third. Stop eating spiritual junk food. Isaiah says, why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. In other words, put more energy into your relationship with Jesus and less energy into the things of the world. What are our priorities? What do we read the most? What do we watch the most? What do we listen to the most? Who are those that you go to for advice? If your answers to those questions are not godly influences, then you have a problem. 
Now, I'm not saying to become a, so spiritually minded that you know earthly good. But what is in, in the comparison between the influences you are digesting and the godly influences? We're back to what I said before. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. If you begin to fill your life with spiritual things, then you will want more. You've got to cultivate. You'll start longing for it. I know that you'll be true from, per I know that's true from personal experience. Let me say, it's great to watch these preachers on TV and to listen to them. You've got to be careful with some of them. You've got to be really careful. You know, if you're not sure about the sources and you want some advice and some, you know, people to listen to, we can give you, you know, we can give you some pointers as people to listen to. And that's all good. But that's not your life source. That's not your food for the day. That's a bit of dessert. Seriously, guys, come on. Your main food for the day is getting before God. Getting into his word. Reading it. Listening to him. Getting to know God for yourself. Don't do it third hand with somebody else's experience. God, what are you trying to say to me through these scriptures? I'm hungry and thirsty for your word. What do you want to say to me today that I've never, I've read this scripture before, but I've never seen that before. How many times has that happened to us? When we really hunger and thirst. Recognize, stop eating spiritual junk food. And finally, yep, look to Jesus Christ for your satisfaction. Cultivate your relationship with him. The only time you can do that is to spend time with him. Now, there was a time when Pastor John was more around the church. Now he's with his, his chaplaincy, he's less away. And we'd be in the office and, and, and Pastor John, sorry about this comment, but here we go. Um, I'll ask for forgiveness later. He'd say, he'd say, we spend a lot of time together, darling. I say, darling, we work together. That's not spending time together. So don't think, oh, well, I do this for the Lord. Okay, I do that for the Lord. And we, we need to do those things. We need our volunteers in church. Don't get me wrong, guys. But actually, that is not your primary source. So, okay, right, let's go. The best times we have was when we go out, the two of us, and we sit down in a coffee shop and we, we have a coffee, or we're driving in the car. You can't get away from each other. I mean, come on. <laughs> but, you know, and you talk to each other, you discuss stuff, and that's what God longs to have that relationship with us. That actually, God, I'm sitting down. I did a message last year, if you remember, when we were doing Summer in the Psalms. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. God wants your cup, you not to be full, but to be so overflowing you can give it to someone else as well. Those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. It's not about doing it everything right. It's about hungering and thirsting to do what is right. Even Paul the Apostle said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Now, if he had that, 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 that tension, we're going to have it as well. But we need to rewind from all of that and say, God, am I really hungering and thirsting for you? I'm very involved with the local church. I do all these different things. I'm involved in the kids' ministry, or I'm on the worship team, or I'm involved with the youth, or I do all of this. But God, where's my heart this morning? Where's my heart? Do I hunger and thirst for you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. David's got a little video of a song that we, we have sung before. But um, I just want us in this time to just each and every one of us examine our own hearts. To look at our own relationships with God. To say, God, am I really, you know, am I really hungering and thirsting for you? Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Give me that desire. If we haven't got that desire, ask the Lord to give you that desire. And as we sing this little song, if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, if you want to sing the song, whatever you want to do, this is the time for you to make your commitment. This is your time between yourself and God. Whenever the song's ready, David, that's fine. The words will be on the screen.